Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and it sounds like I just rolled out of bed and turned on the microphone, but in fact, I've been up for a few hours. I even had a couple cups of coffee. I'm not sure why my voice is so scratchy at this point. However, that is beside... That's beside the point. So today we're going to talk about financial freedom, financial independence, and the FIRE movement a little bit. This sort of was triggered by a a video I saw over on YouTube. I think the title was something like, what does it mean to be rich? And really it was about financial independence. Now this is a topic that I've been a lot more interested in in the past, I would say a couple years or so. But when it comes down to it, when you think about financial freedom on a high level, really, it's having options and having flexibility to do what you want, not having to make all of your decisions based on money or what the impact of money will do. So while I'm, I'm so interested in this topic that I actually started another podcast with my buddy, Carl Jensen, who's pretty well known in the FIRE community, which is financial independence, retire early. And we're going to talk a little bit about that retire early part as well. I think a lot of this is going to come down to like compound interest and understanding some of the thumb screws. But I should note, I'm not a financial advisor. I can tell you about some things that I've done, but don't take this as advice. Take it for what it is, a little story that I'm going to tell you, and I'll I'll give you some things that you can go look up a little bit further. So most likely people will have different definitions and impressions about what financial independence is, but let's just kind of define it, at least for this conversation, and you could modify it however you'd like. I think, again, a lot of people just use these terms and, and don't necessarily have a specific definition in mind, but let's ground it. So in this case, we'll say being able to pay your expenses by living off of generally passive income. And passive income is a tricky phrase and a tricky thing to define because typically you can't just have passive income where you don't have to do anything. Sure, I'm in this make money online area, so I have certainly used the passive income phrases before, but when I got started, I I mean, I listened to the Smart Passive Income podcast, and I think the tagline is something like doing the work up front so you can reap the benefits later, which makes sense. I mean, you're, you're doing work up front, you have to set things up before you can earn passively, and I don't... Well, if you're listening to this, you you probably understand that. So a lot of times we talk about these content sites where you earn money from display ads and affiliate deals, typically. Maybe some direct deals with companies, but that's the general idea. It takes some work to set those up. You may have to write all the content yourself. You may have to hire people and actually invest capital into it. But at the end of the day, once things are set up, You can earn money from it in a generally passive way. Sure, there's maintenance. Sure, there's other things to do. However, generally, you can earn money without trading your time for dollars. So that's one of those big concepts that you have to think about. If you think about real estate, which I'm not into at all, real estate is similar. So you may be able to buy a property, improve it. Maybe you could just buy a turnkey situation and then start renting it. 
and then you generally will earn money without trading time for dollars. However, with a rental place or if you own an apartment building with a lot of doors, then you may have quite a bit of maintenance and management and interacting to make sure that you're paid on time and that the water's running and the you know the toilet doesn't get clogged and all those details. So you can earn without trading time for dollars. So I won't hammer that into the ground, but you get the general idea. So passive income is uh, one of those keys. Now, generally... In my world, I'm thinking about index funds and earning passive income from the growth of these index funds. And a lot of people will cite Vanguard and the total stock market index fund. And that's very popular in the FIRE community and elsewhere too. I think a lot of the Vanguard funds are cited in uh, different books and recommendations because they have a very low cost to operate their index funds. So no one is actively trying to pick stocks. You're just buying the all, all the stocks out there. And on average, over time, those are going to perform pretty well. I did an interview on the other podcast, Mile High Fi, with J.L. Collins. He wrote a book called The Simple Path to Wealth, which was self-published, interestingly enough, and has sold something like 300,000 copies, which is pretty amazing for any book, let alone a self-published one. So essentially you could boil it down to investing in the Vanguard Admiral Fund called VTSAX. And if you Google that, you'll find all sorts of information. And JL goes deep into some of these topics because a lot of people are thinking, hey, I am a little bit smarter than the average person. Why don't I buy most of what's in the index funds and just avoid the really terrible ones, the terrible stocks that we know are going to be terrible. Well, it turns out that's really hard to do. And there's very few people that can do it effectively. And if they could, like a Warren Buffett type person, we'd know their name. And again, there's very few people that can actually pick stocks effectively. I used to have a financial advisor, my wife did too. And after we started earning more in needed to figure out how to invest, it was very tempting to go to the advisor to tell us what to do, where should we put it, what funds should we put it into, we want to be diversified and all that stuff. And we would get advice. And over the years I saw, well, I'm only earning like 8% with the recommendations or maybe 5%. And I can see over here in this this other fund that I just picked, which is it's just the S&P 500. Well, I've, I've done like 15% over the same time period. And I got no advice. I just I picked the, the index fund. So over time, not only was it clear that the index fund was outperforming my highly paid financial advisor, who most likely got commissions for whatever they were recommending, I, I was doing great just with the index fund. So if you check out the interview with JL Collins, you could hear it straight from JL. He has some interesting stories and case studies. And he was actually an active investor for most of his investing career before he went the index fund route. So anyway, a lot of us are into index funds. And from my perspective, I'm not interested in stocks. I'm not interested in researching. I don't have any ego about picking stocks or anything like that. So I'm happy to hit the average. So 
index funds are you know one source you could go the dividend stock route so you could go research that i'm not into that either but there are some stocks that do pay dividends on a you know annual basis and that that is a route that some people take and i talked to someone recently who when they stopped working they moved a lot of their money from index funds over to some dividend paying stocks or ETFs and they were able to pretty reliably basically count on getting those dividends on an annual basis that would cover their expenses. So that's the thing we're going to talk about in a second as well. So you can earn from, you know, the index funds, dividend stocks, potentially real estate. Some people are into real estate. It's very expensive to buy homes right now in in the US almost everywhere but that said there's still deals to be had and people need places to stay and real estate is a, like a hard it's a hard good it's a physical thing there's still going to be some value to real estate even if you know you you buy an old house like the the land the property is still worth a lot even if the house is in shambles so anyway well, it depends on where it's at. It could be worth a lot. So some people do buy like an apartment building and they will rent it out and they can earn money that way. Have a property management company or a superintendent to keep everything running smoothly. And another area which is very uncommon these days, but pensions. So if you, I think these are more common in government service type situations or I guess, federal jobs. But in the private sector, there's not really pensions around anymore. So if you happen to qualify for a pension, that's pretty cool. And you can kind of rely on that coming in um, on a monthly basis or however often you're paid. So those are some areas that you can think about. Now, let's talk about the FIRE stuff just to lay the groundwork. So financial independence, retire early, fantastic branding. It's been getting a lot more press in the last several years. And I was never uh, much of a follower up until I moved to Longmont. And there just happens to be a lot of well-known people that are in the fire community. Now, the issue and (laughs) the issue that comes up all the time is, hey, those people are not retired. They have a blog or now they've opened a small boutique shop where they're they're doing some work, right? So retirement means ceasing to do work. So if you go look it up, retiring is stopping all work, which is not really the goal. And a lot of times when people have the ability to retire early, they're often very productive. They are busybodies like myself. It's hard to just sit around and not do anything. I was talking to a couple friends recently and I've done this before, but they were talking about when they go on vacation, they just stay really busy. They'll fill up their schedule. They'll have, you know, hourly time slots where they got to, you know, go, 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 which while it could be fun to do as much as you can when you're visiting a new place or you're on vacation, part of it hopefully is a aspect of relaxation. It depends on the trip, but I've done that many times where I just fill up a vacation way too much and then you end up being a little stressed out. Now, again, depending on where you're at, it could be pretty fun to 
you know, go through the rush of doing things. But at the end of the day, it's, it is nice to relax. So if, if you're trying to relax on vacation, don't fill up your schedule too much. The point is, a lot of a lot of people who have reached the point where they've saved up enough money and they have the mechanisms in place where they can stop working uh, their standard corporate job or a job that they don't like, they're going to find something to do, like start a blog and get into some other things where they may start earning some money. So another quick example, if someone got into photography as a hobby, sure, it can be a little expensive to buy some of the equipment, but if you have a lot of free time and you start getting more and more obsessed with photography, you may have some photos to sell and maybe you start putting them up on stock photography websites and then you start earning money. And it was fun. You were actually exploring a hobby and then you started earning more money. And that's sort of what happens in a few of these other situations. Or let's say you start a podcast and you're thinking, hey, this is just fun. I'm hanging out with a friend. But then after a while, you have people listen to it and you have sponsors that want to work with you and opportunities show up and opportunities show up in a way where they're, they're fun, right? They're things you actually want to do. And it's not the same kind of work that a lot of us dread. Some people do love their jobs. And you can still hit financial independence and keep working a job that you like. I know a handful of people, not many, who just love their team that they work with. They find the job fulfilling. They're helping people in some capacity. A lot of times that is one of those components. But there are the oddballs out there. And congratulations to you if you do like your job. That's fantastic. I didn't hate my job specifically, but there were definitely times where I hated the work that I was doing or I really didn't enjoy working with certain people. So the fire the fire term is one that I, I've stopped using fire. So I usually just say financial independence because the retirement part doesn't really matter. If you want to retire, sure. I have started bumping into people who they ended up going back to work, but they sort of took a break, a mini retirement. Tim Ferriss talks about this in the four-hour work week. Some people will, f- will refer to it as a sabbatical depending on you know what they're trying to do. And I think those are probably a really good option. You can kind of reset your system a little bit and get out of the normal stressful situations of your job. And if you take a sabbatical, you are not saying, hey, I'm retiring forever. You're just taking a little break. And depending on the industry, sabbaticals could be a lot more common. In fact, there are some companies in, in fact, in the consulting area that I used to work in where I can't remember, I'll just make it up, but say every three to five years, they would have a you know, three to six months sabbatical for you, a paid, you get insurance, like you literally can take a break and do whatever you want. So if you want to travel or if you want to work on a pet project or something like that, you could do it. The point is you get a break from the normal day in and day out and the grind. So depending on the industry, there may be something available. And I have heard that there are more companies offering sabbaticals. Now, three to six months, maybe kind of long, but even a month off paid leave on top of your normal vacation time 
would be pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if all those benefits come in one package, but that's the idea to just take a break. So overall, I, I sort of lost my train of thought exactly with the, the, uh, the fire portion. Oh yeah. I guess just in general, I, I leave off the retire early part because you can keep working. And if I've sort of, I sort of like accidentally got into this, I don't even know what to say. I'm not semi retired cause I am working, but I have my own company and I work on the projects that I want to work on. I do struggle because I have worked hard and I've stayed busy over the past few years. So I'm finding it difficult to wind down and just when to say when I am eliminating certain pieces of work that I don't enjoy, which is awesome. And occasionally I find myself still, still in those situations where I, you know, I'll do just a little bit of the stuff that I don't like. And then there's always that a little bit of scope creep and I do a little bit more. So it's, it seems to be a constant battle to, you know, keep, keep my work exactly what I want it to be, which I, I mean, I have control over it, but again, my, my route was much different. So I started side hustling in 2013 or so had small areas of success. And then in 2015, I got laid off and I really had the opportunity to try and take this side hustle full time. I explored many different options. Some things worked, some things didn't. I didn't like some things. I loved others. So I sort of navigated to the areas that I was drawn. It has worked out fantastic because over time, I've gotten better at the things that I have worked at. And then I've been able to create a lifestyle and work situation that I enjoy. Sure, it's work. And sometimes I'm, I'm doing things that I don't want to do, but you know, that's part of it. These sort of voluntary hardship kind of situations where I am, you know, maybe writing or doing some videos where I'm like, ah, I sure would love to just go outside and, and not work today. And there's other days where I get to do that, but you know, I'm not playing around all the time and I am producing something and exercising those creative muscles, which is rewarding in its own way. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Otis. That's O-D-Y-S and you can find them at otis.global. They're the source for aged domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. Today, we're going to look at a site called Resource VA. And this one is actually a pretty economical one. So it's under $1,000, at least the time that I'm looking at this. And this is a site where you have a couple different options. So Resource VA, and this was targeting Richmond, Virginia initially. And it was all about transforming the workforce and advancing the economic well-being of the region by developing and maintaining a quality workforce. It's 11 years old, founded in 2010. And when I looked at the Wayback Machine, you could tell it's a little bit of an older site in general, but you kind of get an idea about what's going on. And the other the other areas uh, to talk about, the domain rating is 16 currently, the domain authority is 21. It was as high as a domain rating of 30 over the last few years, but it has slowly declined. Um, pretty recently, it was around 20. Now, like I said, this site has a couple areas that you could focus on. 
One is Virginia, right? The state of Virginia in the US and the other is virtual assistants. If you could somehow marry the two together, I think you'd have a, a really interesting combination, but a lot of the links do come from the Virginia region or something Virginia related. So when you're thinking about the relevancy of the links, something Richmond related is going to be a little more niche specific. However, when you look at some of the content on the site, it is about job seekers. It's about workforce centers learning about how to get a job and that sort of thing. So when you when you dig in, there is a lot of content about the workforce, which is kind of interesting. So if you could marry the two together, then you'd have a, a very interesting combination. Now, you could have like a sort of a general news blog a lead generation situation like that. You can have reviews on virtual assistant companies, for example, or hiring virtual assistants. I know there have been a few sites where it just has information about VAs and hiring VAs, and they've done pretty well. You could potentially hook up with uh, like other job boards and job placement services in that fashion and focus on the Virginia specific area. So a couple quick notes. If I look at HREFs, I see there are 66 referring domains total. There are 50 do follow referring domains and 128 do follow backlinks overall, which is, you know, that's a pretty good number. I know if, uh, you potentially been listening to some of the interviews with people like uh, Shauna Newman and Adam Smith. You know that obviously the more links you have, the better, but you can get pretty far with a fairly modest site. I, I believe Adam was saying that the domain rating for one of the sites that he had was roughly, uh, it was like in the teens or something. It could have been Mark. Someone from Niche Website Builders was telling me about it, but I talked to them both very recently. So have a look at Resource VA. And the thing is, Otis has lots of other domains. So if you, if this, if this domain doesn't interest you, you can of course have a look at all the other domains that they have out there. There are you know several hundred or, or thousands. You can filter based on the language, the industry, and, and all those different details. And, and basically, you can potentially build a brand new site on one of these age domains. Or if you have an existing site and you think, hey, maybe I want to utilize and, and acquire another domain and redirect it into yours, that's an option as well. So thanks to Otis, really appreciate their support. And if you join using my affiliate link, I'd get a small commission, potentially if you buy anything, and you get a $100 credit. So it's a win-win for both of us, and I really appreciate the support. We're going to hit a couple other areas. There's three main ideas and well, calculations you're going to need to run through to figure out your fine number, and then we'll talk about compound interest a little bit. I'm going to go on a quick tangent. I've been thinking even more about these topics because I just got back from Camp Phi, which is kind of a retreat situation. It's about 60 or so people typically, and these happen throughout the country. I went to the one in Colorado Springs, I hadn't heard of, these weren't on my radar. I'm not much of a retreat or conference person in general. And 
I mean, with 60 people, it's not really a conference. It's, you know, pretty intimate. You could pretty much talk to every single person. And it was uh, over the course of a weekend or so. And you can imagine that everyone is thinking about financial independence. There was a pretty big range. Some people were just getting started and they had just been exposed to the concepts and they were really just thinking about how it could apply to their lives. Some people have been retired for years and they just love the community and there's a lot of like-minded people thinking about money in a similar way. There's also, you know, folks in the middle and some people were really into real estate and actually real estate is, I mean, just crazy popular in that community. It's a great um, hard asset if you're into those sort of things. Again, I'm not into real estate and I'd, I'd rather just invest in an index fund and be more hands off. The returns are potentially a little bit lower on the uh, index fund front, but it's a, you know, a little bit less risky and certainly way less uh, hands on. A lot of the people that were into real estate were interested in the, well, either homes in general and just the ideas of real estate, but a lot of others were very handy. They work in construction. They like to, you know, rip out all the things in the kitchen and bathroom and, and renovate a home. And I like the idea of that, but actually doing it, not as much fun. So another thing I want to mention, a couple quick plugs. So I've talked about the Mile High Fi. If you haven't checked it out, please do. We're getting more and more guests, and it, it's been really fun working with uh, Carl Jensen so far. And then the other part, if you're listening to this episode at the time that it's being released, the week of the release, my course, Multi-Profit Site, is out. So it's open for enrollment. Typically, it's closed. I open it up a couple times a year. And it is, it's actually one of the pieces of work that I really enjoy doing. So I've created courses over the years and it's been fun for me to not only create the course material, but work with the students directly and see them get results. And it's been, yeah, it's been a, a couple years since I've released this course, I believe. And it's been built and iterated on over and over again. The main idea is you earn from multi-profit sources. So we're talking display ads, affiliate revenue, not necessarily from Amazon specifically or primarily, but you can work as an affiliate for many different companies. And depending on the niche, there may be even better options, uh, much better options than Amazon to work with. Now that said, people buy so much stuff on Amazon that it's silly not to use that as one of your profit sources, but some people don't. That said, you got display ads, you have the ability to work with companies directly, especially if they don't sell on Amazon. For example, there's some industries where almost nothing is sold on Amazon because it's a you know banned product or something like that and Amazon just won't carry it. And then in other cases, these may be like premium brands that are just not carried on Amazon because they don't want to sort of cheapen or uh, become just a commodity 
on the Amazon side. So anyway, multi-profit site is out. And if you are listening to this sometime in the future, or if the course is not open, then you can sign up for the wait list. Okay, let's get back to the topic. I mentioned there were three main areas you'll need to look at. Number one, your expenses. You do need to understand your expenses. You also need to understand your ability to earn money and or save. So those kind of fall into the same category. How much can you save? And then your investment income. Again, that could be from real estate or maybe you wrote a book or you have you know music or photos or videos that can be licensed and then you earn a royalty or index funds. And again, one of the primary components for a lot of people in the FI community our index funds. It's just a, a great vehicle to invest and have some reliable, uh, or at least on average, a reliable return over the long term. So with expenses, this could be a little tough to figure out if you haven't gone through the exercise before, but one recommendation is to look through your you know, your credit card statements and sort of take an average over the last year, if you're able to go back further, if you can, I know some of the credit card companies will basically give you a full report and you can see, Oh, I spent this money, much money on hotels. Here's how much I spent at grocery stores. Here's how much I spent, um, for, you know, flights and travel. And they kind of break it down. You'll probably also have, you know, very clear monthly expenses for things like internet and Netflix and your cell phone and and other things like that, water, uh, utilities, other things that are paid on a monthly basis. So those are fairly straightforward. You'll also need to look at things that aren't monthly that can, I mean, they can really add up. So this might be something like insurance for your car or home. Maybe you're paying that annually or every six months. You may have some quarterly fees for maybe like an HOA or maybe your gym or something like that. So sometimes you're going to get billed in a different cycle and you'll have to take a look and average those out over the 12 months. So you have an idea of your monthly expenses. So you'll know your annual expenses. Of course, It's important how much money is coming in and that sort of dictates how much you could save. So if you look at your monthly income, then you'll have that in in place and you can understand, okay, I could save $1,500 per month. That's the difference between how much I'm earning and how much my expenses are. Now you can look at it, it, most likely it's gonna be best to look at it after taxes. So those are sort of the real real dollars that are coming into your account after you pay your taxes or after those are withdrawn from your paycheck. You can, you know, maybe note both. You can have your gross income and your net, but obviously the net is what you're going to be able to spend um, after taxes and, and the other deductions on your account. So your investment income is the other component. Now, if you're in the the saving mode, if you're trying to get to that point, you'll have to, um, well, you're you're not going to be earning any from it. It maybe can grow via compound interest. So this is super interesting, especially if you have not played with any calculators. 
So I'll put a link in the show notes and the one that I'm using is investor.gov. Very straightforward. They just ask for your initial investment, how much you will contribute each month, the number of years that you want to look at, and the interest rate. You also can note the interest rate variance, and then you can compound it, and by default, it is noted as annually, so I'm just going to leave it as that, although the you know, the, the results will change if it's you know a monthly um, compound, but annually is good enough because we're looking at an annual interest rate. So from the perspective of an index fund, we can think about um, the 4% rule. So there's a whole episode that I did with the Mile High Five, but you could look this up and learn a little bit more information in general. The idea is you can withdraw 4% each year to cover your expenses and you won't run out of money over a 30-year time period. So there was a study done, I think in the late to mid to late 90s or so, where they looked at the overall uh, stock market and if you invested in the total stock market index fund or something similar like the S&P 500, then it grew at a certain rate. And if you withdrew 4%, then you'd be in good shape. Now, the thing is, a lot of people are probably thinking, hey, on average, doesn't the stock market earn like 10%? Now, if you look at any individual couple years, it varies greatly. You may see, you know, 20% one year and then like minus 15 the next. But on average, when you zoom out to something like 10 years or so, you'll see it's roughly a a 10% estimated interest rate. And we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what any given year is going to return, but we can somewhat reliably see that it's going to um, earn about 10%. Some people will say like nine, but we can we can just be conservative and say about eight. So the reason why there's the 4% rule is there is there's some years where it, you know, it drops, like the stock market could drop by 20% stay down for a few years. So if you took out 10% um, or whatever you assume the growth is over time, you may be in a position where you've taken too much of your uh, principal away. And when the growth returns, maybe there's some big years, it's 20%, 30%, and it really returns, you don't have enough of your initial principal capital in there to reap those growth benefits as much, hence the 4% rule. So you can read a little bit more, and if you, I'm not a financial person specifically, so I'm doing my best to verbalize this, but if you look at some graphs, it's pretty clear. Essentially, you're taking out a smaller amount than what you assume you will earn to handle those years where there's there's some uh you know down or lower earnings i guess okay so here's the deal I'm, i put in um a couple different uh just simulations here so number one we'll say you put in a thousand dollars for your initial investment you have a thousand dollar monthly contribution and you're looking at 20 years all right, so this is a you know a long period of time, but you know I think I'm, I'm 42 now. I think back when I'm 20, I'm like, hey, could I have done done this? Yeah, this seems reasonable, right? We'll say the estimated interest rate is eight percent, 
with a variance of 1.5%. And that's, you know, that seems reasonable. I just kind of made that up. Annual uh, compound frequency. And in 20 years, you will have $553,000, and uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll just say uh, $553,000. So about half a million dollars if you save $1,000 per month for 20 years. So the thing is with compound interest, no matter like which period of time you're looking at, the growth accelerates, it's compounding. All right, it's compounding. So let's look at 30 years instead of 20. So think about how much it might be. So 20 years was 553,000. So for 30 years, so just 10 additional years, it's going to be 1.3 million. Let's add five more years. So in 35 years, investing $1,000 per month, you would have about $2 million. And there's some variance in there. That's the average. So with the variance of 1.5%, at the end of 35 years, you could have 2.9 million or 1.5. The point is you're you were putting in $1,000 per month, depending on where you are in your career. I know when I was early in my career, $1,000 per month was a lot that like that's a good chunk <laughs> that's a good chunk of the paycheck back then but as you progress through your career and let's say you're an IT professional and you're making 120 there's a there's a good chance you could probably invest a lot more than $1000 per month especially if you're watching your expenses and depending on you know let's say you have a huge family well maybe maybe your expenses go up quite a bit but for me personally, my wife and I, we don't have kids. We've essentially lived in roughly the same size house as we did when we first got out of school. We didn't need to get a much bigger house um, and, and upgrade our lifestyles too much. So if you have sort of that mindset in your you figure out what's important to you, you figure out you like to have good beer, you want to have some uh, nice steaks and eat out every now and then. Maybe those things are expensive, but maybe you don't care about your car that much. Maybe you can drive a 15-year-old truck like me. So you just have to figure out what's important and you know, don't, don't skimp on the things that are critical for you, things that really make you happy. Maybe you love to travel. Maybe you love international travel. So you can spend money on the things that you love and that really you know, make you happy and get you excited, but then you can you know, maybe skip things that you don't like as much and you realize, oh, you know what? I was spending a lot on, I don't know, I'm trying to make something up. <laughs> I was spending a lot on clothes, which I don't. But if I was, and then I realized, you know what? I just like wearing the same t-shirts all the time and, you know, I can wear these cheap shorts and it's totally fine. I don't have to dress uh, really nice. Fashion is not that important to me, but for you, maybe fashion is really important and that's something you want to spend more time on and you don't care so much about travel, for example. So I think I've reached the end of the things that I want to talk about here let me know what you think. I'm really, I'm curious if you have gone through these exercises and you kind of understand what your expenses are, you know, how much your savings rate is and all that stuff. 
I guess one critical thing that I forgot to tell you is once you once you figure out the, your expenses and you think about the 4% rule, you can take your expenses and multiply it by 25. That's the inverse of the 4% rule. If you do that, that essentially tells you how much you need to save and have in an index fund. You can, of course, you know, change up the 4% rule, but the assumption is you're saving your money in an index fund or something similar. And that could be in the form of a 401k or other retirement accounts or in taxable accounts, which are essentially brokerage accounts. Like I have my brokerage account, um, manage it one of the big ones online e-trade and you can you know invest there of course they have retirement accounts 401k Roth IRAs and that sort of thing in available but you can also just have like a taxable brokerage account and you have the ability to buy index funds and you know managed by different companies. Vanguard has one of the lowest expense ratios so that's that's part of the ethos of that company just in general. So plugging in real numbers, let's say your expenses are $40,000 a year. So times 25, that means you would need to save $1 million and have it in some investment vehicle, potentially like an index fund. If your expenses are I'll just make it easy for me doing the math here. So let's say you have a family of five and your household expenses are $80,000 per year you would need to save $2 million. Now, it sounds like a lot of money, right? But hopefully you can see and understand, since I told you about the compound interest before, that if you just save over time, compound interest is, of course, your friend. And it's it, it's not a big deal for the first few years. Once you get beyond 10 years or so, it's amazing. It's really insane how compound interest like kicks in to gear and just keeps returning, you know, big, big numbers, much higher than you would expect it. In fact, as I, as I close out here, let's throw in a couple other numbers. So let's say your initial investment is a thousand, but instead of 1000 per month, let's say you're putting in 3000 per month. And instead of 35 years, we'll just do, let's say, yeah, we'll do 25 years estimated interest rate 8%, variance is 1.5 and we'll compound it annually. So in 25 years, you have $2.6 million investing $3,000 per month. And again, I realized depending on where you are in your career, $3,000 might be a huge amount or $3,000 might be a reasonable amount that you're already saving or trying to figure out how to invest. So keep that in mind along the way. Shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. Would love to hear if you've gone through these exercises before. And, you know, if you're on the road to financial independence, maybe how long do you have before you're going to hit your, you know, your fine number? That'd be interesting to hear too. So, all right. Catch you on the next episode.